everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined once again by my co-host, the esteemed Rob Dunham. How are you today? All right. We have an excellent show once again for you. We will talk about Deadpool and Korg reviewing movies. Tom Cruise, is he really to blame for England's loss in the Euros? Uh, we'll talk box office and we'll discuss movie cars along with, of course, our watch list. Now, that sounds like great stuff to me, Rob. Are you ready to get going? Oh, I'm ready. Awesome. So let's start off with some of our news items. And I thought we would take a moment to just talk about this, uh, this little video that debuted recently. Uh, and it is a video of Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool and Korg, of course, from Thor Ragnarok and also from Endgame. But, you know, we saw him a lot in Thor Ragnarok, played by YTD sitting down and reviewing the trailer for Ryan Reynolds' other movie, Free Guy. And it was exactly what you think about those two particular characters getting together to review Free Guy. It, it, you really have to check this out. It was, it was pretty funny. Um, it involved uh, Ryan Reynolds making several self-deprecating jokes uh, about his... Uh, his lunacy and um, his personal character. Mm. And uh, it also involved uh, several long Korg rants where he says uh, very many words that don't actually make any sense and have no actual point to them. <laughs> and uh, then uh, Deadpool making a joke about uh, the fact that Korg in fact has uh has his own Marvel show. But my, my favorite one is, uh, is when uh, Deadpool asks Korg how he can get into the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> and Korg just goes on this long drive about having your dreams crushed <laughs> and then maybe just ultimately checking your own email to see if your agent sent anything your way. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you didn't get a chance to review this, Rob, but... Uh, what are your thoughts on the, in, the just the general idea of the uh, Korg-Deadpool interaction? Well, I'm excited to check it out a little later because those two characters seem like they would have a very interesting interaction with one another. Yes. Um, ultimately, I think it serves to make me want to see Free Guy even more, which is the whole point, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Marketing. But Yes, and people were were getting the rumor that this is this is Deadpool's entrance into the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that, <laughs> but it is a it is a fascinating and unique way to bring uh, to bring these two characters together and these two uh, different things in the, into the. Yes, when you've um, got baby extremities, you have to take baby steps. It's just, yes, how it goes. <laughs> Uh, but it was it is it is well done. So uh, have fun with that one. We'll send it. We'll put a link in the in the descriptions to it. All right. Secondly, for a second story, 
uh, it was revealed this past week that Tom Cruise FaceTimed with the England team prior to their final Euro finals match uh, with Italy, which they ultimately lost in typical English fashion in penalty kicks. And uh, this was revealed with Harry by Harry Kane, who is the England captain who came out and was talking about people giving them support and said that even Tom Cruise chimed in. And uh, apparently Tom Cruise was in, was in the middle of filming in the UK. And that was one of the ways that they were able to get him in on this chat. And it came, it came to fruition. However, we have known that for a number of years, uh, studios have been trying to keep Tom Cruise away from promotions and keep Tom Cruise away from things. So my first question is, is Tom Cruise actually to blame for the England loss in the Euro finals? Well, of course, because it's certainly not the fault of any player from Manchester United who might have may or may not have missed a penalty kick. So, and, and any other place we can place the blame, I'm more than happy to. Also, yeah. even if you're in England, why are you like calling to support the English national team here in America? Probably. I know, I know. Although, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is the Euros, so I guess, like, we don't really have a stake in that game. Yeah, but I, I find rooting for England in anything to be, uh, you know, it, it makes me want to go boil some tea, throw it in, <laughs> throw it in a harbor somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So that, bring, that brings me to my second question. Like, say this is your big moment, whatever your big moment is. Maybe it's, you know, your band is about to play a, a, a giant concert or you're about to give like the speech of your life or whatever the case may be. It's about to be your crowning moment. What celebrity would you most like and what one would you least like to be in your head prior to that specific moment? So how are we, we going to do this? Are we both going to say the person we most want and then move on? or Yeah, let's do most want first. Yeah, let's do it that way. Most want first. Uh, I would go with uh, Gerard Butler. Um, ah. And I would make him reprise his role in, in 300 and just, you know, <laughs> just give me a great speech. Give me, give me pumped up. Um, yes. We'd have to change some of the wording to get the context right, but I'm pretty sure you could you get the blood flowing and uh, hopefully not get kicked into a, a well and die uh -huh. afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. uh, personally, for me, I'm going to need some Bill Pullman from Independence Day. Mm. I'm going to need him up on a platform talking about how this is our moment. This is this is our moment. This is where we come together. This is our Independence Day. You know, I'm, I'm going to need that. I'm, I'm going to need some of that. They used that so well in the trailer for the new Independence Day. And then the new Independence Day was not not worth it. No. That, <laughs> no <it wasn't>. <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered that movie existed just by talking about it. So uh -huh. that was all you need to know about that. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I, think I think we all for, just collectively for, forgot that. Tried to yeah. forget that that happened. For person I would least want to motivate me and this is solely based on the personas of him i've seen in movies because i don't know how he is as a real person um 
but I just imagine like Michael Sarah trying to. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, you could uh, could maybe try your try your best. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's pretty much what I envision Michael Sarah saying to me, (laughs) making me completely unmotivated to go do whatever I'm supposed to do. You know, it's so funny you went with Michael Sarah because I decided to go with uh, with uh, Jonah Hill. <laughs> super bad. <laughs> it's a little super bad reunion on our least favorite. He <laughs> just seems like a the most negative. Like his characters are so inherently negative and and uh, anxiety ridden. And just off the charts, it's like he's the last person you want around you when you're like, ah, <laughs> uh, yes, good, okay, I like that. That went well. Okay, so moving on to our next story, uh, Karen Gillum uh, is is back and is a feature in an action movie called Gunpowder Milkshake for Netflix. She recently did an interview for Entertainment Weekly. Uh, so, Rob, what do you think about Karen Gillum, action star? And what do you think about the, uh, the possibilities for Gunpowder Milkshake? Well, I do think that she's proven that she can do that kind of thing. I mean, she's been, she was in the Jumanji movies as uh, Ruby Roundhouse. And did that? there was some action involved in that. Um, you think about her role in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as Nebula, and she has some action in that as well. Um, she seems to be pretty, like, physically fit, like, willing to take on that kind of role, like, able to take on that kind of role. So I, I don't see any reason why she wouldn't be successful with this. The only thing I question, I guess, is, is she really at that, point where her name is going to draw people to like a movie with her being the focus of it because that's that's always the question because that's a that's a further step that you have to go through and I'm not sure where she is on that uh spectrum quite yet yeah yeah and I think this this may go I wouldn't say it would go a long way to getting her there but I think that this movie potentially could prove that she can do it and could be a good launching point to her being a focal point of movies going forward. I think she was low key, really, really good in the Jumanji movies. Uh, she was obviously overshadowed because of the, some of the bigger names in those films, but she did a really good job. And I thought her character was definitely compelling. And I think um, in what I have seen of her, I think she is certainly an actress worth paying attention to and has the potential to be someone who could drive, uh, could drive the box office. It's just a question of whether she will or not. Now, this is a Netflix movie, so it's not going to be a box office draw. Uh, but it will be interesting. I, I like the idea of her as an action star. Um, I think we've, we've seen other female action stars uh, take similar paths. I, I think most notably Emily Blunt mm-hmm. has, has taken a similar path. Uh, so I think there is potential for Karen Gillum to certainly be another actress in the vein of Emily Blunt. 
Uh, I don't know if she has quite the range that Emily does, but um, she's also much newer in her career. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I've liked her and everything she's done so far. Yeah, it's a very interesting comparison, one that I had not really thought through. And I think that seeing her seeing her uh, character and work in Doctor Who, I think that she has a pretty good range emotionally as well because she was able to show a bit more of that in that setting. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely think there's potential for her to move on to bigger and better things in the future. I will tell you, I am not always compelled to watch Netflix movies, but I am compelled to watch this one. So that's that's a step in the right direction uh, yeah. just in general. So I think um, and that movie, uh, this debuted on Netflix on July 14th. So it just came out a couple of days ago. So it is available to watch uh, if you have Netflix. Mm. Uh, is there anything else you want to you want to talk about with us? Uh, I don't think so. But like you said, I'm uh, definitely intrigued by it and we'll check it out this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also features uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Angela Bassett, Carla Gugino. So uh, and we'll post the interview that uh, that Karen gave about the movie on the comments section of the article or of the podcast as well. OK, so let's move on to the box office here. Let's talk about um, what's going on in the box office. Uh, just a quick recap on, on the results of Black Widow. Black Widow continues to dominate the box office, uh, but it also made quite a bit of money on Disney Plus, too, which, uh, which was really interesting. So uh, Black Widow debuted with $80 million in the box office, all over $80 million, and, uh, two, and has earned $215 million globally, which is, uh, which is pretty solid as well as 60 million on Disney plus. Um, if you weren't familiar, this movie debuted simultaneously in theaters and for an extra fee on Disney plus. And so they made 60 million from that extra fee, uh, that they, that they produced from that. Rob, what did you think of the results of this? I think the most fascinating part is how much it made on Disney plus with the yeah. premier access. Cause it shows that, a. Uh, I, a whole bunch of families probably are looking at the cost of what it would be to all go to the movie theater and weighing that against what it would cost to have it on their nice TV and sound system in their house. And, you know, when you combine that with the not having to go out and worry about anything happening outside, I, I can see why a lot of people might uh, go that route. But I, I don't think I was expecting it to be that significant. Yeah, that number surprised me. That's a that's uh, not an insignificant figure going going forward with that. Um, and this is way more than they've made on other movies. Uh, so I don't know that it, you, one can take away from it that this is the definitive model going forward. But I think um, Disney will certainly be inclined to consider this going forward with some of their bigger releases. And they did say in the uh, article that this was like a COVID mm-hmm. influenced decision to do this, to have it released. But you do, like you said, you do wonder moving forward if they see that kind of result and shift their thinking along the way. I, I still think the, the pathway to the most amount of revenue for the, the, the studios is to be exclusive theater release. Um, but maybe there's a plan in which it's, you know, two weeks later, three weeks later, something like that. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens and, and it'll be interesting to see how the different studios determine when they view that the pandemic is over. <laughs> Cause I think you're going to have different studios view that differently. Um, but yeah, that number, the number for six of 60 million for Disney plus was, was a big figure. Um, and we'll see what happens with that, uh, with that going forward. So that's uh that's black widow. Now we'll, we'll shift a little bit towards movies coming out this particular week. So this weekend we have a number of new releases. Uh, we'll focus uh, a little bit on just kind of four of them. Uh, space jam, a new legacy starring the Looney Tunes characters. And of course, LeBron James, Don Cheadle, a number of others uh, is coming out this week. Also escape room tournament of champions, which is a sequel to the original uh, kind of thriller horror movie uh, escape room. There is a documentary called Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain, which is coming out and a Bruce Willis movie called out of death. So Rob, uh, you got four options to choose from here this week. What do you, what would you go see? Given uh, well, I'm going to go see the Roadrunner, not the one in Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Anthony Bourdain has always uh, fascinated me. I read his book, Kitchen Confidential, when I worked in uh, food services at Lancaster Bible College. And uh, the stories that he had and the life he had lived was fascinating. And I knew people who were very influenced by him and uh, looked up to him a lot when he when he committed suicide, it was a, a tough moment for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what they draw out of uh, his life. What this, what this story tells, what, what impression it leaves us with of Anthony, because he was, he was when it came to food, a genius. And it does seem like people who excel at their field sometimes have massive struggles that we'd never know about until it's too late and i think of rob williams as well mm-hmm. I think about that and uh i i'm incredibly interested in seeing uh what the story of this is where it goes what they explore what they talk about uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that it will leave some kind of positive legacy for the for his family um uh with wherever it ends up so I'm very interested in that. I, uh, I have like negative 1 billion percent interest in watching the new Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's address that right now. Uh-uh. I'm in the same boat. I, the original film is so good and the characters are so great. And for me, like my level of being compelled by LeBron James is like not there. I mean, if that scene, if that film does not involve him flopping and falling down, like (laughs) hurt and like he got shot over the smallest thing imaginable, like it's a disservice to who LeBron James is at this point. So if he's not spending half the movie whining, I I don't, you know, it's just, you know, that's, that's the only thing. I I try not to pay too much attention to reviews, but it doesn't help that the few reviews I've seen of it are are like absolutely eviscerating it. Mm. It's like, mindless product placement for two hours and that even though michael jordan wasn't great as an actor in the original one lebron james is not any better which is 
I think that is a little bit disappointing because he has been not awful in a couple other things he's done. Um, mm-hmm. But when you are interacting with cartoons, maybe it's a little different when you can't actually see who you're acting with. I don't know. So, yeah, I probably I, I, I will probably be forced to see that at some point in my house by my children. But until that point, I'm not going out of my way to see it. Yeah. And that one is another one that releases on HBO Max and in theaters. So if you have HBO Max, you have access to that. For me, uh, I'm compelled by Out of Death. This is uh, the Bruce Willis movie with uh, Jamie King. And this is about a corrupt sheriff's department in a rural mountain town comes undone when an unintended witness throws a wrench into their shady operation. Uh, For me, this comes down to uh, the idea of does Bruce Willis, Willis still have it as an action star at this point? I mean, he's getting up there. And the question is, does he does he still have it? I'm curious to see whether Bruce Willis still has it. Yeah, that is uh, that's an interesting idea for sure. So that's uh, that's what interests me about that particular one. Um, so, yeah. I guess none of us are none of us are that compelled with escape room tournament of champions. <laughs> yeah, I might see that at some point um, with someone, but probably not by myself. It has it has a little bit of the whole saw vibe where you have mm-hmm. a, a mastermind manipulating people into situations that they have to get out of uh, the basic. Yeah, the basic plot is they bring back people who who were from an original escape room and the escape room is basically you get tortured. And if you can figure it out, you survive. If not, you die, um, that kind of thing. So it's not super complicated, but. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily, I don't hate those kind of movies, but I don't really enjoy going to see them by myself. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's, what's coming out in the box office this coming week. So if you get a chance, you can view that. Uh, as well as Gunpowder Milkshake, which we talked about earlier, is out and available for you on Netflix if you want to stay in this weekend. Okay, let's move on to our discussion. And I thought we would talk about this. This is something that I, I was thinking about recently, and I'm going to turn this into an article for the Film for Fans website. But I thought we'd have a little bit of fun uh, discussing this today. And that is our favorite movie, Cars. Cars and movies have a long and illustrious history together, and they are featured all over the place. There are very iconic cars that have made such a huge difference. So I thought we'd talk about our favorite ones. Sounds good. So let's go back and forth a little bit. We'll we'll just uh, we'll talk about we'll give one at a time and talk about it. So, Rob, why don't you kick us off? What, What is a favorite movie car of yours? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go probably a little bit, uh, off the board here, but uh, I like, uh, the, the rampaging vehicles that we see in Mad Max Fury Road driving across the desert. Mm. And they go back and forth between the cities, Just all the different modifications and yeah. flames shooting out of and spikes <laughs> shooting from and, uh, metal attached to it, ramming into each other. There's just. And, and the way they shot the movie too, where they give it, uh, they give you the opportunity to see these things in space, like see them interact with each other, see them run into each other, see them speed up and, you know, attack one another is really something to behold. And I always enjoy 
seeing those scenes where you've got the giant tanker coming across and then out of nowhere, it's like almost like uh, souped up dune buggies with chain mail and, and fire. And it's just Mm -hmm. insanity. And I I enjoy that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I like that. That's, that is off the board. That's good. I like that. Uh, My first one is going to be the 1984 sheepdog Mm. yes the van from dumb and dumber is one of my all-time favorite movie vehicles it is iconic it is legendary and uh created a a fascinating number of great moments in that film gotta love the sheepdog and it just fits the personalities of the characters so well it does like who else would have a, a a van festooned in a giant sheepdog costume. I mean, <laughs> just too good. Yes. And uh, and there's that that great moment where the gas is spilling out <laughs> of the with the dog the dog's leg lifts in order to <laughs> fill the gas tank, and then he's spilling gas out. It really, <laughs> just just gives that great classic uh, bathroom humor from that uh, from that one. Yeah, and it really shows off the maturity of the film. It does. And uh, you, we know its value too, because it got traded straight up for a, for a little scooter there. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> so we even have its value within the movie. All right, what else you got, Rob? Uh, I thought you were going to go here first, so I guess I'm going to take it now since you didn't. But uh, James Bond, Aston Martin. What else do I need to say about that? I mean, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different ones. Do you? Yeah. Is there a particular one? Well, I was just, just the concept watching, of the I, Aston Martin. Yeah, the concept, Martin. but also having most recently been watching Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. um, seeing the difference between the rented Ford he's driving around uh-huh. <laughs> in the Bahamas versus when he gets the Aston Martin in the poker game. Yes. Um, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's James Bond right there. And I, I just love this the first scene after he wins the car where he where he says to the girl, You want to come back to my place? And she eventually agrees to go back to his place and he drives a, around a block and parks right back in front of the hotel where he was because that's where he's staying. <laughs> it's just so good. Yeah. And uh-huh. I mean, along with that, all the modifications that all the Bond cars have across all the movies, uh, to varying degrees of success slash believability yes is always a fun thing to see it is absolutely you there has to be a bond aston martin on the list it just has to like, yeah it's, it's too synonymous with movies and, and cinema history uh i'm gonna go with for my next one uh the 2003 mini coopers from the italian job mm. really enjoyed those cars um they were the fun thing is is they in order to film it, they actually had to create electric versions of them because the location they were shooting underground did not allow electric ve- or uh, gas powered vehicles mm. underground. So they, and the, and at the time, Mini Cooper did not have an electric version. So they actually had to build electric versions of those cars just to be able to film those scenes, uh, which is kind of a fascinating thing. But I, I, I do have a, I do have a soft spot for the, for the modern Mini Cooper. And uh, that was just, they were put to great use in that movie. Yeah, I think about the scenes where they're like going downstairs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of the insanity that they did with those things. Mm-hmm. It definitely uh, stand out of that movie. Um, 
So I, I guess uh, another one for me would be uh, Kachow, Lightning McQueen. I mean, <laughs> doesn't matter if you're a kid or not. Uh, Lightning McQueen's a cool dude. And uh, Owen Wilson does a great job at uh, voicing him. And I think the thing I like the most about that character is his interaction with uh, the Hudson Hornet in the first first movie Mm. Uh, and seeing their back and forth and mentorship relationship is a really cool thing. It's a good lesson for kids, like positive. And his character always seems to make the right choices, even when he's tempted to not do that or go down the wrong path so i like lightning mcqueen also he's he just looks cool red yeah. yellow, yellow lightning yeah. number 95 mm-hmm. so yeah lightning mcqueen's probably my favorite animated vehicle i would have to say yeah yeah uh, my next one is uh the 1967 Shelby GT 500 from Gone in 60 Seconds, Eleanor, as it were, the the famed white whale of uh, Nicolas Cage's character. Uh, it's 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 a, just a cool looking car. I mean the the Shelbys are are fantastic vehicles, and that one in particular is just it's a work of art. And, and a classic car and they used it they used it so well as as kind of like the culmination of that movie it it played an intricate role in the plot of the movie and and the legend it kind of created that movie created for that car also helps too yeah definitely uh in a movie that's based around stealing cars that's the <laughs> that's the pinnacle of the movie without a doubt and uh yeah, even if you even if you're not really a huge car person, um, they picked the right car to be like the focus of their ultimate aim. Because even if you're not a car person, you see that car, yeah, you you get it. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, one more. Um, you gotta you we gotta mention the DeLorean. Yes. <laughs> Back to the Future doesn't exist without the DeLorean. Uh huh. And um. It is an absolute hideous monstrosity of a vehicle, mm-hmm. but it just fits so well. Like the, the time, like it looks like someone built it in the future, which is probably not a great thing for when they were trying to sell it, <laughs> 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 but it, it just aesthetically, it just fits perfectly what the movie is doing. And um, it was the best choice for that. And, there's a reason why it's an iconic thing, why it's on stickers everywhere and people just love it because yeah. it fits. It took on a life of its own. It really has. It's taken on a life of its own, both because of the popularity of the movie and because of just the spectacular flame out of the DeLorean company itself. Um, it just kind of created this mysterious element and, and this kind of um, cult following. I know to anytime I see a DeLorean somewhere, it's, it's a big event. Like people are gathering around and people are seeing it. Everyone notices it everywhere. I was, uh, I was at Valley Forge recently and there was one parked, there was one park mm. at the park at Valley Forge. I'm like, Oh, it's a DeLorean. I went over and I'm taking pictures of it. There's just something so incredibly compelling about the DeLorean. It, uh, it lives in movie legacy. Uh, so I will conclude this by, 
there has to be a Fast and Furious car in this one. Uh, so I'm going to go with, with one of my personal favorites, and that's the uh, 1993 Toyota Supra Turbo, which is uh, from, from the original The Fast and The Furious from 2001. Uh, and this is the car that um, uh, Dom and... Um, now, why am I blanking on the main character? <laughs> um, they build it together after he, after his car, original car gets destroyed. Um, they, they build it together. They order parts in from Japan and it's the vehicle that they hand off to Dom. He gives him the keys to at the end of the first movie mm. uh, that, that Toyota uh, Supra is really, it's a really cool car. That's one of my favorites from, from that series. Okay. Well, look for the article coming on filmforfans.com here in the next few days about favorite movie cars and let us know what your favorite movie cars are. Uh, if there are some that in particular stick out to you, uh, send us a message and we'd love to highlight them on an upcoming episode. All right, let's do our watch list. These are movies that we've watched over the past week that we'll give you a brief synopsis of and our personal opinion. So, Rob, get started. Oh, I have not finished watching this yet. I will finish it probably uh, in the next couple of days. But as I mentioned, I've been watching Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. And, man, such a good movie. Yes. And I, I think one of the reasons why it's so good is it was such a departure from what had uh, been done previously with Pierce Brosnan, like just a, a complete break to a, a brand new thing. Um, the beginning, just from the beginning of the movie where it's black and white, it, it just set, sets a different tone mm -hmm. for what exactly this is. And um, in that opening black and white sequence, you see Daniel Craig's James Bond being like very physical and very uh, violent and just like, you know, a little unhinged, like a, a um, and, and that kind of carries throughout all of his movies. And I really just, I've always liked the action with Daniel Craig because it seems realistic. Mm -hmm. um, there are, there are things that, you know, would be difficult for him to pull off, but like when you watch him do them, it does feel like he could actually pull it off. And as I, I've just really liked how they've been shot um, those movies and I, 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 like I said, I've said earlier, I need to see Daniel Craig finish his career as James Bond before I place him, like, ultimately in where I think he is. But um, I don't think there's any questioning that he does a great job with the character. And yeah. the movie yeah. itself is just shot incredibly well. Like you had said earlier, uh, up until Skyfall, probably, it was the best James Bond movie, which I think is a fair assessment i do think skyfall is better mm -hmm. but um very interesting that potentially the best two james bond movies both have daniel craig in them i think mm -hmm. that might say something about him <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. uh so i i've been i'm enjoying that and also i watched uh last night harry potter and the deathly hallows part one um i i really like this movie and i like how the tone and tenor of the movies changes over the course of the eight and seven is split into two yeah they just get more and more like adult slash mature 
as they go on and the stakes get raised and it feels like there's real danger and there is uh, like characters actually dying things are not all going positively uh and the end i i think that the way they split these two movies where they ended it uh at the end of part one with Voldemort finding the elder wand is just a a perfect place to end it. especially it's right after dobby dies as well mm-hmm. so it is like a real downer <laughs> yeah and you're just left with this okay so we're gonna lose mm-hmm. kind of feeling which i think they I think they executed that perfectly and then capitalized on it really well in the second part of the movie also. So I always enjoy getting to those movies because they are like the payoff of the rest of the series. The whole series is good, but Mm -hmm. getting to that is always a cool part. Yeah. And I think it was like some of the scenes are just so compelling. Like the one where they're back in, uh, they're back in his hometown and just how creepy, how creepy that old woman is. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's. She's yeah. a snake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's super creepy. They did a great job with that one. Yeah. Well, that's that's like uh, all that I watched this week, other than Black Widow. But we talked about that yeah. already. So uh, for me, I I watched The Courier again. This was the movie that came out over this past year uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, we talked about it on a podcast episode uh, shortly after I saw it. Uh, but it's uh, it's a great World War II era, or, um, Cold War era, Cold War era spy film um, involving a Benedict Cumberbatch as a businessman who goes over the Soviet Union to do business while simultaneously spying. Um, and it takes place in the 60s. And, and the instrumental behind the scenes channels that they were working to help out, especially during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Really good movie, definitely something you should see. Um, I also watched Disturbia. This was a 2007 movie uh, starring Shia LaBeouf and Sarah Romer. And this is the classic like rear window type scenario where he, uh, Shia LaBeouf's character uh, plays a kid who's graduating from high school but gets put under house arrest for the summer. And so he spends the summer, you know, kind of spying on his neighbors. And then, um, you know, this attractive girl moves in next door and he starts, uh, he starts going out with her, but then he becomes convinced that his next door neighbor is actually a serial killer. And uh, so then they go about the plot of trying to expose this guy. Uh, So it's a fun movie. Uh, If you, if you like kind of uh, thriller action movies, uh, I thought it was actually quite well done and the characters were interesting. Um, it does have more of like the college teen vibe, uh, but I, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So it's a pretty good one. Have you seen that one? I have not seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 you should check it out. Uh, I also watched the adjustment bureau, which is a movie I really, really like uh, starring Emily Blunt and Matt Damon and uh, Anthony Mackie also. And this is just a cool concept. It's it's a unique original concept movie. Uh, you know, this uh, mysterious adjustment bureau that uh, is kind of tweaking people in order that they stay on a plan that's been designed for them by the chairman. 
And the chairman and the plan says that uh, Matt Damon is not supposed to be with Emily Blunt and he's having none of it. And he's trying to do what he can. So it's, it talks a lot about the idea of fate determinism versus free will, uh, what decisions we have choices over, uh, the consequence of our decisions, both for ourselves and the people around us. And it's just a cool, unique concept, the way the, uh, the Adjustment Bureau operates. Um, cool things where if you're wearing one of their hats and you turn a doorknob, you go to strange, unusual places. It's, it's a lot of fun, but the characters are very good and the storyline is unique. I did not remember Anthony Mackie was in that because I probably did not know who he was when I saw it the first time. <laughs> I re- it was one of the first things I saw him in too. And I was really, I really thought he did a great job. So that's why it stood out when I started seeing him in other things. Yeah. 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 I need to check that out again soon. It's one mm-hmm. of the, one to watch. Yeah, really good movie. All right. So that was our watch list. Rob, you got anything else for us? I don't. Okay. Well, that is the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Film for Fans. Uh, Make sure you rate, subscribe, do all that typical stuff. Share it with your friends. Uh, Leave us some comments if you have special cars that you're interested in. Also, check out filmforfans.com where we have articles and things coming out, including in the next couple of days, the episode on favorite movie cars. Uh, There will be an article up there about that. Until next time, everyone, enjoy the movies. Don't go watch Space Jam. (laughs) Hehehehe. <laughs>